Welcome to this week's episode of She Speaks Stories. This is Portia. And this is Katie. We are so glad to be together. Oh my goodness. So glad. Always so, so glad. Obviously, we're not together together. Portia's in Minnesota. I'm in Virginia. And our beautiful guest today is in Boise, Idaho. But we are virtually together and so happy to be. And our guest got referred to us today by... A previous guest, Amanda Johnson, who we loved her story, and she's a fellow Staffordian. Is that how you say (laughs) something that lives in Stafford? (laughs) Works. It sounds good to me. A fellow Virginian, and we loved her story. It was so powerful, and we're so grateful uh, to Amanda for connecting us with Ashley, because Ashley has a powerful story. And we want to introduce you to Ashley right now. She is... um, coming to us by way of Amanda, as Katie just said. Um, um, Ashley's mom divorced when she was 14. Ashley changed high schools and churches four times before she was 18. And by the time she left home to attend university, she had stopped going to church. Sharing her wedding plans with her parents on a Friday, she was married in a chapel in Reno by Monday. It was a shotgun wedding. She was 22. We want you to meet Ashley Sears, a wife not afraid to fight for freedom for her husband and her own heart. Welcome, Ashley. Hi. Thank you so much. Well, we thank you, honey, for being willing and vulnerable to share your story and the ups and downs. And um, you've already chatted with Gwen and she knows your story and she told us a little bit but not enough to, uh, you know, (laughs) get us all excited about the details. So we want you to just jump right in and start kind of at the beginning, describe your life growing up, kind of what, what has made you, you? Well, um, again, thanks for having me. Um, let's see. I, I grew up in Southern California. Um, I have a little brother. He's, um, about eight or nine years younger than me. So significantly younger. Um, I grew up in what I would say is a Christian home. Um, I grew up going to a Nazarene church. Um, we were really involved. Um, my mom, myself and my brother were really involved. Um, my mom was married when I came along when I was born and she was married for, um, gosh, I think a a couple decades. Um, but he was not my dad. He is on my birth certificate. And I did think he was my dad, but, um, he was not my dad. Um, so there was a little bit of, um, a broken relationship there. I always felt this disconnect from him while I didn't know he wasn't my biological father. Um, I never liked him. There was a lot of manipulation and lying and, um, what I've been told abuse, um, I don't have a ton of specific memories of my childhood. I really feel like that was God. That's God's provision for me to be totally honest. But, um, I do have, uh, I do have some memories and they were pretty lonely and it was pretty dark, um, growing up. Um, my mom did divorce him when, um, I was, uh, it was the summer between my, um, eighth grade and ninth grade year. So I was 14 years old And, um, pretty quick after I decided I didn't want to do the back and forth custody thing. Um, 
so I lived with my mom. My brother still went back and forth, but I lived with my mom um, primarily. We lived in the same town. Um, I started high school. And um, pretty soon after that, gosh, it was about a year, um, my mom met somebody in an original AOL chat room. <laughs> oh, wow. That takes us back. <laughs> I, would say, I don't know if you remember, remember those, but um, in an AOL chat room and um, it was my mom's first time ever in one. It was, it was pretty funny. It was a little bit surreal because back then it was like, how am I actually talking to somebody somewhere else in the world? And anyways, um, I believe it was about three months later, they got married. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> and um, we moved from Southern California to the San Francisco Bay Area and um, went to a different high school and a different church. He was a Christian and so was my mom. And um, we all moved having only met him a couple times and uh, immediately became a blended family. He had kids, my older kids, and my mom had me and my brother. And... Um, yeah, we, we moved in with them. We started a new life together. They are still married to this day. Wow. Um, yeah, that was, gosh, 25 years ago, I think. Um, so yeah, they are still married to this day. And um, he ended up adopting me um, while I was in college. So um, if you want me to go back and talk a little bit about the, the dad who was um, married, uh, I thought he was my dad till I was about 16, 15 or 16 years okay. old. I wondered um, how old you were when you learned that truth. Yeah, it was, it was a while after they divorced, actually. Um, my brother and I found out at the same time. So he was significantly younger when he found out. But, um, but yeah, we did find out together. Um, when my mom married him, he told her he couldn't have kids. And not having kids was not an option for my mom. But due to my mom's upbringing and circumstances, um, she was significantly younger than him. She just um, she just wanted to get married and move on with her life and didn't, I don't think, really considered that, figured there was other options. And so they got married and started trying to figure out how to get pregnant and um, kind of settled on artificial insemination. Oh. Um, almost 40 years ago, that was not a popular. That was not a big, <laughs> that was not something that people did really. But, um, yeah, my mom was artificially inseminated with actually both me and my brother, but, um, wow. yeah, um, it was the way that she could have kids. Yeah. So boy, your um, mom was a pioneer on the <laughs> fertility front and the dating front. She was, I guess I didn't think about that. I didn't think about that. And she was also a surrogate long before surrogacy wow. was really a thing. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, so, uh, she, that's how I was conceived. And so, um, when I was born, maybe even before I was born, there was conversation and, um, the agreement was, I think it was more on his side than my mom's was basically that we would never know. We would never know. We were never to know our biology. We were never to know the truth. Um, and I was to always think that he was my dad. And so, you know, he was on my birth certificate. It was never talked about. I had no idea. Um, I got to tell you, it's kind of funny though. When I was in sixth grade, I think it was, we, in my science class, we were learning about, um, genetics and, um, 
genetically dominant and recessive genes and, you know, the colors of eyes and hair and all of that. And while I think I, I kind of look like my mom, um, I have hazel green eyes and, um, nobody, nobody in my family has that. And it's a recessive gene. And, um, I remember going home from school, looking at my mom and saying, was I adopted? And she was like, where would you get that idea? And I said, well, I have green or hazel eyes and nobody else in our family does. And genetically speaking from my science teacher, that's not possible. How, how is that? How is that possible? And she just said, you know, God made you that way. That's just how God wanted you. And so while I was not adopted per se, because she then pulled out the pictures of her pregnancy with me, um, I did find out at 16 years old why I have green eyes. (laughs) Wow. That is wild. She just decided to tell you or? Well, yeah, because um, it came out after they divorced that, um, it was, I think it was more threatening. I think my mom felt very, um, oppressed and maybe and threatened a little bit and she was not allowed to tell us. And so the whole, while they were married, she didn't tell us, she kind of yeah, abided yeah. by what was trying to keep you know, the peace, requested. Yeah. 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 Trying to keep the peace. But then once they divorced and she moved on and she remarried and, um, you know, she shared with her husband, my now dad, um, kind of the biology and, and all of that. Um, uh, he, I don't know if it was, he told her that she needed to tell us or what, but she just, she decided that we needed to know. So, so she, so she told us, so, yeah. So I don't, I don't know who my biological father is and I never will. Um, but I gotta say, I was relieved when I found out that he was not my dad, I never liked him. And growing up as a kid and a teenager, really having such disdain for a human being that is supposed to be your father was something I wrestled with a lot. Oh yeah. And so when I found out that I wasn't actually cut from the same cloth as him and that he wasn't actually my biological dad, a lot made sense. And I was so relieved yeah. Wow. Wow. Well, well oh, go portion. <laughs> I, I was gonna. I was gonna move us forward and to tell us about your initial relationship with your one day husband Asher, and what caused the relationship to change. So, I what I said, I like the alliteration, Ashley. Oh, <laughs> Asher. Ashley and Asher. And we did not do that on purpose. We get that question frequently. We do. Um, Yeah. So if I had to describe in one word, I would say our relationship started off as passionate, um, both in a good way and maybe not in a good way. Um, We fought passionately. We fought hard. We fought ugly. And, um, but we also fell hard and fast. And, um, so that would probably be a good word to sum it up, but our relationship was, I would say a little dysfunctional in the beginning. Um, and how old were you when you met him, honey? Sorry to interrupt, but. Oh, you're okay. Um, I was 22. Okay. Okay. So I, I was trying to picture, are you in high school? Is this no. early? Okay. So 22. Okay. 
maybe now I'm trying to think, I, I actually must've been 20. I was 22 when we got married. I was 21 when we met. Cause I met him my last year of college. Got it. Got so it. Okay. I was, I was 21 when I met him. Um, he is a handful of years older than I am. Um, when I met him, he was divorced with a child wow. and, um, I was young and he had a lot more life experience than I did. And I was still in college. Um, and you know, we both brought some pretty significant baggage <laughs> to the relationship. Mm -hmm. Um, just immediately with the, the ex and the, the son and all of that, that just brings a whole set of issues that I was convinced would be totally fine. I had a fairy tale in my head of what that, that could look like. Um, and when I met my husband, as far as in my life, um, I was actually in the middle of a court case, um, when I met him. And so I don't know why that didn't scare him off, but I was in the middle of a court case. I had been stalked by a stranger for months, um, and so when I finally figured out that I was being followed and being stalked, um, followed to work, followed home, all of that, um, I filed a police report. And so there was an investigation launched. And at the point in which I met my husband, they had caught him and the court proceedings were, were going on. He was being charged in several different counties. And so, um, when the, um, court, uh, proceedings came to Reno, which is where I was, um, I had to go. And so he came with me, very new relationship. He came with me to, for me to give my victim impact statement, um, at the hearing. And, um, anyways, so we started off that way. And then even before that, just a handful of months before all of that happened, before I met my husband, I was actually raped by a very good friend of mine. Oh. And so I brought a lot of trust issues and baggage that I hadn't really dealt with. Um, into our marriage as well. Of course you did. Honey. Our relationship oh, actually. My. Oh my. What did that stalker want from you? Um, I don't know. He was what they called a serial stalker. Um, he had, he had a type. Um, I was able to see a picture of the other woman that he was stalking in one oh. of the other counties. And we looked, we looked very similar. Um, he, he portrayed himself as a door-to-door -door salesman. And so he, that's not how I met him. Um, he just saw me. Um, I was able to find out when exactly he saw me and when exactly that went through. But, um, I, uh, he ended up following me for, I don't even know, a handful of months. Um, I was working at a local restaurant and brewery at the time and he would come in and ask for me and he would call and he would follow me home. And, um, somehow he got my cell phone number. I don't know. Um, but. Wow. Wow. That was really creepy, huh? Yeah. Um, yeah. Just another quick question. Were you friends with Amanda Johnson, uh, when you went through that rape? Because that was her story I was not. too. It you was, yeah, hurt. I was not, no, this was still pretty early on. Like I said, um, I'm a little bit older than she is. And so, um, I didn't meet, I was already married by the time I met Amanda. Oh, okay. But I bet you were able to help her in her time of. Yeah. Um, a little bit later. Yeah. There was yeah, some, yeah. there was some fogginess and whatever, but yeah, her and I have very much talked candidly about and this. bonded and, and comforted one another and 
Oh, goodness, goodness. So you come into this yeah. marriage with, I mean, this relationship with a lot yeah. of baggage, but then you, oh, yeah. you get married in like one day or something like that. Tell us. <laughs> well, <that story. laughs> so, um, we dated for 10 months. Um, I, we started dating in September and I moved in, I think in November. So, um, we moved in very quickly together. Now, he was not, um, he was not a Christian. And like I said, I was raised in a Christian home, but, um, when I was a senior, I, having gone to several different churches, um, you know, high schools moving around a lot. Um, I met a a lot of really great people and I went to a lot of really amazing churches, but the church that we landed at when I was a senior, um, was not my favorite. My parents loved it, which is why they stayed, but the youth program left something to be desired and the kids were just not friendly. And, um, so I had said, I don't want to go anymore. And, um, my parents basically said, well, as long as you live here, you will. <laughs> so, which I can respect as a mom now, I get it. Um, but it didn't mean that I loved it. And so when I moved out and I went to college, um, it didn't, it didn't leave a very good taste in my mouth, or at least it didn't, it didn't really leave me wanting to go find my own adult, you know, or young adult experience in a church. So I just stopped going altogether. So my faith and my relationship with Jesus, um, just really wasn't a priority. I would not ever say that I walked away or stopped believing. I just, it just wasn't a priority. So when I met Asher, who was not a Christian, it was okay with me. It didn't bother me. And, um, so we, we dated for 10 months and I moved in very quickly. And, um, then I found out I was pregnant, um, at 10 months dating, I found we were living together and I found out I was pregnant and I panicked <laughs> and I looked at, um, my boyfriend, I looked at Asher at the time and I was like, what are we going to do? And he was like, what do you mean? What are we going to do? <laughs> like, we're gonna, we're going to have the baby and we're going to start a family. Like we're, and I was like, I mean, he was just so calm and so, I don't know, but I was freaking out. I was, I felt like I was too young for this. I, this is not my plan. I dreamed of a fairy tale wedding. This was not in the cards. And so he kind of talked me down, um, gave me a pep talk. We told my parents, um, we found out on, I think it was a Friday. We told my parents on a Monday, um, and we were married by the next Friday. <laughs> um, when we told my parents, my mom, obviously my parents were not thrilled about the situation, but my mom masked it very well by being very excited. She's always wanted to be a Grammy and I was her oldest and having a kid. And she just was like, she saw past all of the maybe negative things and was just really excited to, um, to be a Grammy. My dad, however, looked at, um, my husband and said, so now what are you going to do? Like, are you going to marry her? Uh, how, how do you plan on raising this child? How do you, so, so when are you guys getting married essentially? And, um, there was a couple other phone conversations, I think between my dad and Asher, um, when wow. I wasn't around. And I just remember that Asher came to me, I think it was the next day on Tuesday and just said, Hey, so, insurance and all these logistical things. Um, 
we're going to get married on Friday if that's okay. <laughs> there was no proposal. <laughs> there was no proposal. There was no fairy tale. <laughs> um, so yeah, we, um, his family, his immediate family and my immediate family, we went down to a little chapel in downtown Reno and we got married on a Friday night. So, wow. Wow. Yeah. Very newly pregnant. Okay. Now, going a little deeper into the story, you're married now. You and did you guys have one kid or more after? Um, Oh, Oh, well, we have have three. Now we have three kids. Yeah, we have three kids. So, so that pregnancy was my daughter, and she's fourteen currently. And, um, yeah, then we went on in our marriage to have two more, two more okay. kids, we have two boys. But at one point, and this is an interesting question that, that Gwen came up with. She said, what came out while you were watching a beauty pageants bathing suit competition on TV? Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I can't wait to hear this. Uh, so, so I, I will, I will back up just a little okay, bit before good. that question. Um, so we got married and, um, my parents, I find out later, my parents are pretty, pretty nervous because he's not a Christian and they are, and yeah. I'm not walking with the Lord and they can just see the writing on the wall of sure. strife and hardship in our marriage and raising our family. And so, um, I got to say though, my parents handled that situation with such grace. And as a mom right now of a teenager looking at her future and who she would potentially date and all of that, I do not know that I would handle everything quite um, so gracefully as they did, but um, they never told me how disappointed they were in my choices or our choices or me getting married out of wedlock or anything like that. They just loved us and they accepted my husband um, and they just prayed. Behind closed doors, they prayed a lot. Um, (laughs) I do know that. And, um, so, so fast forward, um, every Sunday night during this time, um, we used to do something called Sunday, Sunday family dinners. We actually still do them to this day. My parents only live a couple miles away and, um, we still do them to this day, but, um, we started out, they would go to church Sunday mornings. We would not. And, um, they would, when they would come home, we would then go over and, um, spend the Sunday afternoon and evening with them and do dinner. And we used to always go in the hot tub together. We used to just hang out and spend some time going in the hot tub together. Um, but during the time in which I was pregnant after, right after we got married for that, you know, eight or nine months, the whole time I'm I'm pregnant, I couldn't go in. So my mom and I would stay in the house and we would just chat and catch up. And my dad, and Asher would go and they would just have some guy time and just hang out. And I I would find out later their conversations were really deep and a little bit theological. And, um, you know, Asher said when I, when he went to go first meet my parents a year or two earlier, he had said, that's fine that your parents are Christians as long as they don't try and convert me. Like that's, Mm -hmm. I don't care. That's fine. As long as you're not, and they don't try and convert me. And so that was, that was that. Um, but my dad, um, my dad's lived a little bit of a checkered past. He's a recovering addict um, or alcoholic. And so, um, he has a lot of colorful stories and, um, while we don't necessarily like to celebrate those, it's what made him approachable to mm-hmm. my husband. Sure. Mm-hmm. 
And so um, they would sit in the hot tub every Sunday and my husband would ask questions and they would <sighs> share stories. And um, the thing that my dad always made sure to tell um, Asher was, yes, that's where I came from. And, and we could laugh about all of the stupid stories and the stupid things that I did. But I got to tell you, the only reason I am where I am is because of Jesus. <sighs> and so he would kind of just in a very approachable way, share his story. And, um, one day, uh, our daughter was a couple months old. He came to me and he said, Hey, what would you think about going to church with your parents? And I was like, it wasn't a hard sell for me. Like I said, I just hadn't made it a priority. It was my background. It's what I knew. So when my husband was coming to me asking, I thought, what, what is going on? And I said, yeah, sure. Why not? So, um, we went and, um, after the service, my husband was like, I feel like the spotlight was on me. I feel like the pastor was talking to me. I don't know how I feel about that, (laughs) but, (laughs) but it intrigued him enough to want to go back. So, so we did the next week we went back and that week, the pastor was talking about salvation and baptism and what that meant and what you kind of do to get that and how, what that means in your life and, and all of these things. And we went home and my husband was like, I want that. I want to be baptized. I want to live for Jesus. Like, I want what your dad has. I want what you guys have. Wow. And so week three, we went, we went to church and he had his change of clothes and he accepted Christ and he got baptized right there. And because he kind of took the lead and did that, um, we decided together that this is how we're going to raise our family. This is what we're going to do. This is the direction that we're going to, we're going to take. And so I rededicated my life because I was baptized and accepted Jesus when I was little, but I don't actually remember. My mom tells me I did. Um, And so I just rededicated my life right there and was able to get baptized. Um, my dad actually baptized me. I um, love wow. that. That's and yeah. proof that stories change lives. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> your dad was not trying to arm wrestle no. your husband into believing a certain set of doctors. No. He was just simply sharing the stories of his own life where God was at work and the amazing things God was doing. And, and then you know, just yeah. sharing the story and God uses stories to oh, yeah. change. So good. Lives. I love so that. Good. Okay. So you are on a roll yeah. and you're going to raise your family. <laughs> yeah. So, so fast forward. Um, and he is probably about, I don't know, a year or so into, you know, we're, we're leading our family this way. We're going to church. We're very involved. We, you know, we're involved in ministry where we just dove in. I mean, we just dove in and, um, he was really excited. And so one night our daughter was somewhere between one and two. Um, one night we are sitting in the living room and I thought it was a beauty pageant. I had said that, um, to Gwen actually that I thought, but as I was talking to my husband, actually yesterday, he reminded me it was not a beauty pageant. It was a Victoria's secret, um, fashion show. It was a fashion show. Okay. So I don't think they do them anymore. I don't know, but, um, they used to do fashion shows quite often. And so it was Victoria's Secret Angels fashion show that was on TV. And I was sitting on the floor with our young daughter and, you know, having babies changes 
everything. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, I wasn't feeling like super confident and loving how I looked and, and all of these things. And my husband had this show on in the living room and um, I did not like, I did not like how it made me feel to watch it. I did not like how it made me feel to watch him watch it. And I just simply looked at him and said, can we turn this off? I'm sure I know actually my daughter does not remember that. And I'm sure she was too young to even understand, but that's not even the precedent that I wanted to set for my daughter of what beauty was. Right. And so I just said, can we turn this off? And he said, no, no, I don't want to. And I was actually, I was really taken aback. I was mad. I was confused. And so that really launched into a very big argument and a very big, um, a deep, a much deeper and bigger conversation. And, um, at the end of it, um, it came out that he had a pretty significant sex and porn addiction. Wow. <laughs> so wow. he was mad that I was asking him to turn it off. Yeah. 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 Because that, that has neuro pathways in a brain that makes you yeah I mean it's a serious addiction oh yeah it is they um the science behind it is um yeah when you when you look at um videos or or pictures or whatever and when you kind of stimulate that part of your brain um the chemical makeup is that of um a heroin addict yeah yes (laughs) yes yeah. Very, very damaging and hard. Oh my. What did you guys do? Well, um, like any good Christian wife, I threw a lot of scripture at him <laughs> as to um why, because he was a Christian at this point, as to why it was wrong. And I mean, gosh, Christian or not, I don't know any woman that is comfortable and okay with their husbands doing that anyways. But, but, um, uh, you know, adding the fact that now we were, we were living this way. We, we believed this, we were walking this certain path that I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is not something you can do while, you know, everybody sins. I get that, but, but this is a problem. This is a big problem. Um, and so he softened a little bit and, um, understood it, it took a little while to get there because he was defensive it's his it was his thing you know um yeah and so uh but he said he would stop he said okay I'll stop I get it I, I get that it's wrong I see why I see that it, I can see how you'd be upset and so I'll stop and at that point I didn't understand the gravity of yes. um of what that meant, of what an addiction like that meant. I didn't understand really the implications, the long-term. I didn't, um, I just didn't know the road that we were about to go down. And, um, quite honestly, I don't think he did either. Um, this is something that had, he had dealt with and had been a part of his life since he was, I believe, 10, maybe 11. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Um, it was something that he learned very early on and, and lived with his whole life, really thinking it was, it was kind of okay. And so, 
And so when I, I was one of the first people to tell him it's not, yeah. <laughs> it's not okay. And so, um, I, I really, in my naive young mom and just really hopeful that him saying he would stop meant that he would just stop. We'd be fine. It'd be fine. And, um, it wasn't fine. <laughs> yeah. Um, it kind of launched us into at least a decade um, long roller coaster of um, kind of a cycle, really, of okay, I'll stop, then we're good for a while, um, and then I would find something out again, or I would, I would, he would get caught, or something would happen, and it was this, it, it was definitely this cycle um, that I just, I didn't know what to do. I mean, he went to support groups. He, we went to counseling. We, I mean, I feel like we did all the things and, um, he was told kind of the, the overarching theme was pray harder, try harder. There was no real tangible tools. There was no, and and I don't know if maybe it was the time, although this has been around for so long, this type of, you know, addiction has been around for so long. I just, um, not very much study and very many studies done on it. I don't know, but there was no real hope. Every time he walked away from any type of, or anytime we walked away from any type of counseling or anything, it was always like, well, this is always like my cross that I have to bear. This is just how it's always going to be. And, um, we got to a point, um, kind of, you know, 10 years later, so to speak. And, um, I just was like, I can't, I can't do this anymore. I can't do this. And um, I didn't want, you know, I didn't want our boys to be raised this way. I didn't want my daughter finding anything or or knowing. And gosh, I feel like I, you know, as a wife, you want to try and control and, and fix everything in your marriage and everything. And so I even tried to personalize things. And I just was like, you know, those girls are somebody's daughter and you have a daughter. And I mean, I constantly... But um, men compartmentalize, especially yeah. when they have something um, that they're trying to hide. But, but men just, they can compartmentalize so well everything. And so he always agreed with me and understood, but nothing ever clicked. And so I was, I was angry and I was done. Um, so we, we hit a point where it was, it was like, you need to figure this out or um, I'm gone. I, mm-hmm. I, can't, I can't do this anymore. Um, and so he decided that he would maybe seek a little bit different recovery. And so he started going to this group, um, at a local church and, um, was doing well for a while. And I thought we were good. I really did think we were good. We, um, we had moved to Idaho at this point and I thought, okay, this is it. Like we're doing really well. We were seeing a counselor actively and things were, things had turned around. I could see little changes like in his behavior and, and, um, things were, were going really well. And so, um, during this time though, that kind of 10 year roller coaster, um, I had made some unwise decisions. I, um, wasn't, I didn't feel like I was getting paid attention to or having, you know, my emotional needs met and, and stuff during our marriage. So I made some, I made some pretty unwise choices. It was very easy for me to seek attention other places. And, um, I was angry with my husband. I was bitter. And and so we had worked through all that. We had, we came to a really good place. And, um, 
at this point now, I am on staff at a church and um, we're very, very involved um, here in Idaho. And um, there's a gentleman that came to the church and came to the senior pastor and said, there's this organization called Pure Desire Ministries, and they have a group called the Seven Pillars. And it is a group for men who struggle with sex and porn addiction. I would love to bring this to the church and start this group. And um, so the senior pastor came to the staff, um, me being one of them, and said, hey, this guy, um, you know, who we knew, he wants to bring this to the church. What do you all think? And, you know, me having Mm -hmm. come out of this. Now, mind you, at this point, my husband and I have have kept the struggle pretty close to the vest. We've not really talked about it. It's just something we've, we've tried to deal with. And so, um, but, but because I knew and we're in a good place now and, um, you know, this, if some guy wants to come out and, and talk about this and bring this to light and help other men, I was like, I'm here for it. Like, this is, this is what we're, I, I think that I vote that we do this here at the church. Yes. And so our senior pastor said, okay, take the DVDs, take the curriculum, take a look at it. Let me know if it's, you know, let me know if it's dated, if it's any good, like, you know, you take a couple, you take a couple. So a handful of the staff members took some of the curriculum, took some of the DVDs home and we watched them. It was incredible. It was, I have never been to any of my husband's counseling specifically for this or support groups because of it. But this was something that I walked away going, wow, I had Mm -hmm. no idea the, like you were talking about, um, Katie, the, the wiring in the brain and the pathways and the chemical, um, reactions and the, because this is, it's, the gentleman that does it is a Christian. And so that's, you know, it's based, it's based biblically. However, it's very scientific and it's very like, it talks about the physiological stuff. And this curriculum gave actual real tangible tools about what to do. And when you get to that place, it digs up. I mean, it's like counseling in and all of itself because it digs up the reason why you got here. And it it goes far beyond pray harder. Oh yeah. Harder. Oh yeah. Quit screwing up. Yeah. You know, which just adds shame and hopelessness because it's an addiction. It's not just a habit. I mean, it starts as a habit and then those, that brain gets rewired and, and oh my, I can't tell you how excited I am to hear there is an actual tool Absolutely. out there in our churches that work and somehow we'll put in the show notes and name the name of that but but keep going so you were like yes yes this is good yeah I I went back and you know our pastor was like so what'd you think I said yes yes 100% yes I think that we need to do this the church doesn't talk about this you yeah. statistically speaking it's staggering yeah. the men primarily but but women too yes in the church struggle with this and nobody wants to talk about it mm-hmm. if we if you are willing you know to the senior pastor if you are willing to bring this into the church I 100% say yes and so he said okay and the rest of the staff agreed and um so so we brought it and so 
when I brought this curriculum home and I looked at it and I watched it, I did not watch it with my husband. I just watched it as a staff member looking at it through the lens of, you know, is this okay? And, um, but I told my husband about it and I was like, Asher, there is this organization called pure desire and this is what they're doing. And this gentleman is bringing this group to the church. I think because of our story, even though nobody really knows it, you should go and support, like you should go and, you know, you can help these guys. Like you can, or you can go and, be a guinea pig at least go and be one guy in the group who knows because that's like you said katie the shame cycle is yeah. crazy and right and right for a man to step out of that shame cycle and say this is what i'm struggling with it's hard enough for i think guys to say i'm struggling right but, absolutely but to say something so deeply personal and right. shameful so i was like asher you've got to do this and he was like yeah okay that sounds that sounds good So, um, so he went to the first group and he came home and, um, two things, he was different and he was different for a good reason because, um, for the first time I could see the hope that he found just in the first meeting, just in the first group, like that it is possible to be free from this and not, and not like not like God will take your struggle and you're not, you're not, you will never think about it again, but, but there's a way to like, how to hold your thoughts captive. We're going to dig deep and figure out why, and we're going to move past that. So this doesn't even have to be your go-to anymore. And, and all of those things. And he was so excited, but he was also different in the way that he came home and there was a heaviness, um, that he needed to share a lot more with me. And, um, so, they tell you in this program um, right off the bat that you will probably experience all of the things that my husband experienced, hope and excitement and, and kind of a heaviness lifted. When you're in the same room with men who are dealing with the exact same thing, there's freedom just in that. Yeah. And so he was feeling so great. They tell the men, um, do not run home and disclose every little detail to your wife because um, they, the husband is not in the emotional place to, um, deal with the fallout of the wife's reaction. Yeah. Yeah. And so there's a process. They do tell you to disclose to your wife, but there's a process. That right. You have to go right. Through. Don't dump it all. Yeah. Yeah. And Too he much. did. He did though. He came home and he, um, which, you know, in hindsight, I, I'm thankful he did. It's not so much, um, it's, it's not ideal and it's not what they recommend, but, um, I am glad that he just got it all over with ripped off the bandaid, so to speak. But, you know, um, again, with the, the science behind it, something else I learned in this is that, um, when a spouse or significant other discloses to, um, to their spouse, the chemical, like triggering in the brain, the chemical makeup in the brain of, of the person hearing it, the person that's been, um, sinned against, if you will, or, you know, so the wife is the same chemical makeup of a rape victim of the trauma of a rape, Uh, rape victim. So the brains look the same and light up the same when you're hearing disclosure Mm -hmm. from your spouse as, as that post rape. And so, I've lived that. I, I lived it for 10 years every time something would come out, but I just didn't know that that's what was happening. Um, 
And so here I am living it again. And, um, I was so mad and he, you know, here he is having all this hope. And I was like, when is this going to give? Like, when are we, when are we going to be done with this? And, um, the Lord just spoke to me, like, we may never be done with it, but it will, and it'll always be a part of our story, but there, it, it is possible to, um, not have this be the focus or the center of our marriage anymore or have it be the thing that we fight about or the struggle that we have, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, um, I made a commitment that I was going to stay in the marriage. I, I was committed to my family. I was committed to my husband. Um, and so we kind of started down this journey of him, uh, going to this, to pure desire, doing the seven pillars and working through the steps, the, the things that they, um, require of you and the, the healing that needs to take place. And I really, I mean, I saw a change and it wasn't just a, um, going through the motions change. Mm-hmm. I saw some real, like some real behavior change and real like thought process change. And for the first time he was able to tell me when he was struggling, when oh, he got to the point huge, yeah. of, of, you know, Hey, this is what I've been thinking about. And normally this is what would happen. And I don't want to go there. So, and so we'd kind of walk through that, but as he's, as he's going down his kind of healing and recovery journey, I was finding myself really stuck. I was still real bitter and real angry. I was happy for him that he was getting help and he was getting healing and all of that. But, um, I was still mad. I was still, I didn't trust him. I was still a little bitter and was trying to figure out, okay, that's great that you're moving on, but how do I move forward? Because I can't undo or unhear all of the things that have happened. And, um, I can't pretend like they didn't happen. And I'm still just mad. Like I want to hold a grudge against you because you've hurt me a lot. And so, um, through a series of, um, women that, God put into my life and conversations, just very much ordained conversations with, with other ladies, um, who were in my situation, but maybe a little bit further down the road, um, than me, I was able to find very similarly support and curriculum and, um, healing in recovery for the spouse whose husband mm-hmm. struggles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and Pure Desire has that for women as well. I mean, they have every facet. Their organization is is pr- primarily really for, um, for sex and pornography addiction. That's like what they specialize in. And so um, it was incredible for the first time in my life going through this um, like anger and bitterness and betrayal. I was able to have compassion for my husband. Wow. Um, so when he came to me and was honest with me about his struggles or honest with me about his thoughts or, you know, whatever, um, I saw it as an addiction and something that he wanted so badly to control and didn't know how, um, as opposed to feeling victimized, I was able to step away a little bit and understand it for what it was and have compassion on my husband. Um, so that was a huge, that was a huge game changer. Oh my goodness. You know what, honey, when we're done with this interview, if you can email, um, mm-hmm. email us specifics about this program, because yeah. listeners, I, I am guessing with the stats out there that there are many of you that yeah. are dealing with it at some level or yeah. another. Right. Um, and 
this is huge to yeah. hear about a, a tool that's very specific. I know in our church, we, we have celebrate recovery and then they yeah. have uh, subgroups for people that struggle with sex addiction. Right. And it's, and I, and I'm, it's been helpful. I mean, I, I know of one guy that really got set free, but I think they also love to hear about uh, additional tools yeah. that can help down the road. So yeah, I'm just putting that out there because some of you might say, well, you know, we got our own group going and, and we've got Celebrate Recovery or even AA, you know, yeah. um, probably has subgroups for sex addiction, don't they? Do they? Um, well, I'm familiar with all of those. We've done Celebrate Recovery. We've done um, 12 Steps of Spiritual Journey. Um, yeah. We've done, um, my dad is, my dad found sobriety in AA. So, I mean, he very awesome. much, that's wow. actually where he found God is AA. Wow. And so he very much um, is a, um, he very much talks about AA and that it works if you work the steps and, you know, right, all of that. Right. Um, the reason I, I mean, and, you know, anyone is going to, claim that their thing is, is what works if it's working for them. And so, <laughs> course, yeah, by right, no, by no means do I say that one is better than the other or whatever, right. but course, for us, Pure Desire Ministries has just been an absolute, um, game changer. And, um, because the CEO, so the founder of it, he's retired um, since, and there's a new CEO, but um, the founder of it is the, the man who's in all of the videos. So he founded okay. it, but he also is like the one telling his story on the front lines, mm-hmm. um, retired um, ex-military and is wow. a guy's guy. So he's very relatable and um, to men and um, just, he just kind of puts it all out there and everything around this ministry is specific to sex and porn addiction. They're not trying to right. help recovery right. in all areas. Sure. This is right. like, right. That's so I, why I was saying, you know, so yeah. super focused on yeah. a really serious addiction and, yeah. and yeah, I love that you said you tried, you tried other things and they work for some people Yeah, yeah. for sure. in some settings and some groups are going to be better than others. And I say that, to all of our listeners out there, yeah. just because you've been to a recovery group for something and it didn't work, yeah. don't write off all recovery. Absolutely. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Keep trying. There's some that are better than, I mean, you know, better. For you. How do you say yeah. that? But yeah. Just yeah. a better fit. A better fit. A better fit. A better fit for you, your family, your specific situation, right. your town, your faith, your, you know. So. Yeah love hearing this and Portia we need to put details for listeners yeah I'm happy to I'm happy to to send those and I've actually had the pleasure of um I connected with um the uh, assistant the executive assistant of the CEO um not that long ago and so I've actually been in communication with her and I've actually been able to share this with them and just like you know people that that do things like to know what they're doing matters and so amen um, amen I, hey tell them that you were on this podcast oh I will <laughs> <laughs> well I, the thing that I love about your story and I think that all of us if we think there's been a season in our in our in our own stories, or we know someone where they've been in a place where there was no hope. Like you, those were your words. We felt mm-hmm. like there was just no hope. This was just what we were going to have to live with for whatever. And mm-hmm. then the first time that Asher came home from um, his first meeting, you saw hope in his eyes. Mm-hmm. 
And there's always hope that, I mean, that's the point of the cross. There's always hope. The cross and Mm -hmm. the resurrection point to that there is hope for every single one of us. Mm -hmm. So tell us about Stories Unveiled. How did that come to be? What is it? Yeah. So, um, it's an organization that I founded, um, three years ago and, um, it was born out of, out of my story, me and my husband's marriage story really. But, um, when we got to the point where I was experiencing forgiveness and healing and we both were kind of now on the other side, the other side, we're all still in process, but, but, you know, it was a little further behind us, um, that, we made a decision that we weren't going to keep this close to the vest anymore. That wow. if I was struggling as an isolated wife, not wanting to talk about it, you don't want to throw your husband under the bus, but also you're real mad. Um, <laughs> so you kind of do. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, that I couldn't be the only woman struggling with this. And I, I knew that there, he, my husband wasn't the only man because statistics show that he's yeah. not the only man. And so, um, some wives know that their husbands are struggling with it and some wives don't, but you know, there's, there's gotta be a population of me out there, you know? And so we made the decision that we were going to talk about it regardless of the fallout. I was on staff and my husband was really involved and, um, it didn't matter anymore to us with the fallout. We weren't going to let it sit in the darkness anymore. We weren't going to, we weren't going to just let it be our story here that we deal with. Um, so I was the, uh, still am the, the women's director um, at our church, and I used my platform as in leadership to um, at an event to just share a little bit, like a small snapshot of our story, me and my husband's marriage story. And I just kind of gave an invitation of, if this is you, please, you know, contact me. I'd love to show you what I've learned, walk you through this group, this curriculum, um, just support you, just be a friend. Um, you just need to know that you're not alone because this is a really isolating issue as the wife of someone who struggles. And, um, the, the women that came forward, um, it humbled me, but it also broke my heart because some of them were women I had known for mm-hmm. a while mm-hmm. and the stuff that they were going through in their marriage was, no different than, you know, ours. And, and it just really got me thinking like, um, it's, you know, an old cliche, I think, but, you know, be kind because you don't know what kind of battles somebody's Um, fighting or or whatever it is. Amen. (laughs) But like, it's so true. And so, you know, we wear our masks well, um, some of us better than others. Um, but I just, I got to this point where, you know, airing your dirty laundry to everybody that you come in contact with isn't right either. There are certain platforms and yeah. situations to do that. And as a, as a staff member, a female staff member who is very involved, especially on a Sunday morning, being put together and, and acting like I have it all put together is something that I do very well. Um, but you know, deep down, I don't like hearing, gosh, I just, you guys are such the perfect family. You must yeah. not have any struggle. Right. Oh, like, oh. <laughs> if you only yeah. knew, right? if you only knew. <laughs> and so I hated that. I hated that people thought that about me. And, um, not that I want people to think I'm this really messy person, right. but <laughs> I want people to you know, want. 
Yeah, exactly. You want reality. You want truth. You want vulnerability. If our churches are just a place where we go and put on a mask and try to impress each other with how much we have it together when secretly we're falling apart, how does in that in any way, shape, or form be the organization that Jesus Christ wants to head up? You know, why did he? Yeah, yeah. right. He, He died. To save us, yes, yeah, and to help us, and to heal us, and to to be close to the brokenhearted, and yeah. not for us to put on this pretense that everything is great. And 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 I like your wisdom. It doesn't mean somebody says, "Hey, how are yeah. you?" Oh, I'm yeah. terrible. My husband's a you know, you know, <laughs> right to everybody. <laughs> I yeah, mean, you know. I mean, there's you know, there's common sense. There's yeah. Common sense. I tell but, you, you're a woman after our own heart <laughs> in that you are courageous enough, bold enough, wise yeah. enough, spiritual enough to know enough of the darkness. Right. Yeah. We're going to share our story because yeah. it might change someone else's. I love that. Life. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because stories matter and they do change lives. Right. And um, especially for us, I didn't know anybody else whose husband struggled with pornography or where this was an issue in a marriage. I, I knew people who had had an affair or affairs, which can be in the same vein for sure. But, um, but I just didn't know anybody. And so even in the church or in the Christian world, it's like, we can talk about alcoholism and drug abuse. We can talk about codependence. And there are, there are these like really easy topics as Christians to talk about. But the minute you bring up sex and pornography, people yeah. are like, Ooh. whoa. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. like some addictions are a little more socially acceptable. Right. <laughs> right. right. Like really? Like you're yeah. so brave. Really? Thank you for coming forward. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. But this one's a little messier. This one's yeah. a little messy and we don't. Yeah. And so my, Asher and I just decided it didn't matter. Like we just, wow. we felt like because we know that God can use anything and he does not waste our pain Amen. that Amen. he was going to use it. And so, um, so I started leading a group, um, for women and my husband is actually now on his second round of leading a pure desire men's wow. group. Um, so now he's working on his yeah second group going through and, um, it's just, it's been incredible. But during this time I have, what I've heard, uh, the phrase as the holy discontent for, um, the masks that we wear and the, the fact that so many people deal with things, everybody has a story that, um, you know, not everybody either feels comfortable with it, with sharing it. People don't feel like there's matters. Um, they're ashamed or embarrassed to, to share it or, or whatever. Nobody asks. And so I just, I reached out to God and I just was like, what do you want me to do with this? I have a story. I know people's stories now, you know, vulnerability breeds vulnerability. Right. So, so the minute I decided, no, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to tell people. So I would have coffee with somebody and I would just say, let me just tell you, like, let me encourage you because let me just tell you. And then the floodgates would open. And so I had all these stories that, um, God was, you know, prompting other women to share with me. And I was like, now, what do I, what do I do with this? I don't know what to do with this, but I'm not okay. Not doing anything. And so, um, he laid on my heart, this idea to just create an environment and create a platform for women who, especially otherwise would never have an opportunity 
um, kind of like this <laughs> podcast. I was um, going to say, wow, sounds um, <laughs> to share their story live. And so um, it is now turned into an organization that we do um, lots of things. I'm in the process of creating content and a course and how to share your story. Um, Are you but, really? Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. We um, wanted to maybe put something like that on our website or, you know, just yeah. to encourage women to send us their stories and, and, and then even have some coaching of how yeah. to, yeah. okay, we got to talk. Okay. <laughs> this is amazing, honey. I love it. Um, but it started with, with one conference. It was like, you know, I, I have vision, but the details are, are hard for me. And so I need smarter, more detailed people around me because I can say, this is what I want, but (laughs) I don't know how to get there to how to funnel it down. And so God just gave me this vision of creating the platform, do a conference one thing at a time. So start with an event. Um, I know how to plan events. So um, Mm -hmm. I did that. So I, the first year, um, we, the the church that I working at was um, gracious enough to say, you can have our building. And because budget didn't allow for much, um, I, I tried to keep it within a very small budget, but I, you know, I provided lunch and that I had a live worship band and I had a good friend of mine. He did an incredible spoken word. He's so talented. And so all about your story and, and hiding and the mask. And it was incredible. And so, um, I reached out to five good friends who I knew were strong in their faith, um, but also had a story. And Mm -hmm. I just said, will you share? Will you please stand on a stage and share with however many people show up? Um, And they agreed. They prayed about it and they agreed. And um, a couple of them had never shared ever these, these some of the really, um, raw details of their life. Um, I put them through a workshop. I put all my speakers through a workshop and um, before they get on stage to, you know, help them public speak. Um, and, uh, 200 women showed up. That was, wow. that was how many we could fit. And so we sold, um, we do sell tickets, but it's, we try not to price anybody out. We want this for everybody. We want this right. to be affordable for anybody. So, um, we, we effectively sold out on year one and, um, God just told me that this was going to be bigger. Um, this isn't obviously just for Boise, Idaho and, um, that this needs to be take, taken out of the church building. While obviously Christians are the speakers and they are mm-hmm. the primary person that comes to this really because um, it's a Christian conference. But I've been to a lot of Christian conferences and this is not anything like it. There's, it's usually really heavy teaching. Um, but this is a place for somebody who doesn't have hope, who doesn't think that their story is redeemable or who um, is broken or who, somebody who's on the fence, somebody who doesn't know the Lord, that they can walk in and say, oh, like, wow, this person is sitting up here telling me their mess. Um, and that's, that's kind of the difference too, is we don't really focus on the mess. We do talk about course, the, the, the junk that's happened, yeah. but every single speaker they talk about, but Jesus. Amen. Yes. Like here's, your dad in yes. the hot tub. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Here's the mask. Yeah. We can laugh about it. We're not glorifying it. Right, 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 right. 
But and you need to know because Jesus. of where I came from. Exactly. Right. But right. but Jesus. But and Jesus. Oh, I wow. love that. So How many that years was, have you been doing yes. that? So we are coming into our third conference. So, okay. you know, I worked on it the full year before. So I've been doing it for three years. We're doing okay. conference three in September. Okay. And um, yeah, I mean, it's just grown. Last year, we had to move it to Boise State. So we did it wow. on the um, university campus and we sold out and packed the, packed the venue. And um, yeah, this year we, um, we have a venue that's bigger again. Okay. So um, do you guys record? Do you record it? I do. I do record it. I haven't, um, I kind of just have it for right. in case I need it. I give my speakers, um, their talks if they want it. Right. Um, right. and then I, I have it to go back and review and, and do things sure. like that. I have, of course, I put course. snippets on my website. Um, right. No right. But not but the whole, yeah. yeah. But no, if people wanted to, um, find out information about this September's conference Mm -hmm. in Jesus name that will happen in Jesus name. Um, (laughs) What would they need to do? They would need to go to the website um, storiesunveiledconference.com. Storiesunveiledconference.com. Storiesunveiledconference. Storiesunveiledconference.com. Yeah. I love your ministry. We love your ministry, obviously, because it just, it's our heart too. We've had a couple live events and, and people will get up and, and share their stories. But, um, wow, I love what you're doing. Ashley, I, the verse that kept coming to mind is James 5.16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of a mm-hmm. righteous person is very powerful in its effect. And when you said that you guys decided you weren't going to let your story sit in the darkness anymore, I just, mm-hmm. in my mind, just the freedom that came to you and to Asher. And because mm-hmm. you guys are walking in freedom, you were able to turn around and help others walk into freedom and walk into the light. Um, because I think that's something... In the church that we've lost because the masks are sometimes just easier. It's just yeah, easier mm-hmm, to allow sure. people to believe I've got it all together, even though that's not really what we desire. Um, mm-hmm. But the Lord is calling his people to put down the mask because how can we go effectively share the gospel if we're masked up? How yeah. can we mm-hmm. effectively mm-hmm. share the gospel if we are bound in walking in darkness with our own story? And so I just appreciate that you guys walk that out. Um, even within your marriage relationship, Asher tells you, hey, I'm struggling right now, but I don't, I'm not going to walk down the same path I did before. And for you also, mm-hmm. hey, I'm struggling with this right now. There's so much freedom and power and relational intimacy that comes with, hey, this is where I am right now. So that other person who's hearing what you're saying is like, thank you for telling me, let's pray about this together, you know, Um, to move it from just this out there nebulous monster that is consuming Mm -hmm. your life and your passion. But man, I just love what God has done and the freedom that you're sharing right now. Absolutely. If if you wanted our listeners to remember just one thing, what would it be? Um, I think ultimately it would be that, um, God can redeem any story. He can, (laughs) he can change anything. You know, um, our, the phrase for stories unveiled is that we find, um, 
uh, we find purpose in our stories and freedom from our pain, from freedom from our past. And so, um, that's, that's just kind of what I live by that. There is no story too big, too messy, um, to anything for God that he can redeem it. And that, um, that there's purpose in our stories and in our pain and that it is possible to find freedom. Amen. Oh, honey, this was so good. Um, (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. We, this, we don't normally do this, but, um, Ashley, would you be willing to pray for our listeners? Yeah. They're sitting in that space that right now they feel like there is no hope. Um, yeah. Yeah. But if you pray for them. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Oh dear God. Um, thank you so much for who you are and what you do in our lives. God, thank you for this opportunity um, to be able to share uh, me and uh, my husband's story um, of our marriage and hopelessness, really. But God, we know that with you, there is hope. And so for any listener right now that um, thinks that you've abandoned them, or that there is no hope or that maybe their story or situation is too messy or um, just too great for you. God, I pray that you would just touch them right now, that you would um, make yourself present to them and known that you love them, you created them and um, that they can come home, that nothing is too big for you. Um, Nothing is um, too messy and um, that nothing is by accident, God, that you use our pain. Um, and if we allow you, you, um, will be glorified in all of it, God, um, that there is purpose. And so God, for that person that is feeling stuck and just in a really dark place right now, I just want to lift, I just want to lift that person up. I want to lift those people up and um, just know there is hope. There are resources and there are people that love you and care about you and you matter and your story matters. Mm -hmm. And um, God, we just love you. And um, we ask all these things in Jesus name. Amen. 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 Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I don't thank you. <laughs> thank you. So, so limited uh, to just say thank you that this was a powerful, powerful story. Thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. I, I enjoyed myself. I'm, I'm honored and humbled by the opportunity. And listeners, we hope you'll share this episode Absolutely. with friends yes. um, because um, stories do change lives. And we we love y'all. Thanks for listening and thanks for sharing. Bye. Bye.